in terms of learning experiences, you are completely destroying the ability to retain information. And so if someone is not rating their work-life balance high, or if you're not creating a learning experience that is lending itself to someone feeling carefree or excited, and they're worried about their work outside of it, and they're instead stressed, then you should reschedule your training. Welcome back to The Learning Experience with John Toda, brought to you by ELB Learning, the company committed to helping you create better learning experiences. Our guest today is Dr. Benjamin Ritter, a talent development executive and leadership and career coach who helps individuals unlock their professional superpowers. So we're excited to have Ben with us today to talk about learning experience. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for, for having me. And man, you have such a great voice. <laughs> it's just like, I, I just want to sit back and listen. Wait, I'm supposed to be talking. Hey, well, thank you. I, it's one of my few talents. So it's great to have you on the show today. I know you and I've talked quite a bit about this in, in a couple of our conversations. And you know, we're really focused on learning experience and how that can really impact your employees and colleagues. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you to kick us off. Tell our audience a little bit about your background and give them a, a little short story of your, your career to this point. Yeah, so I specialize in talent development, leadership development, and specifically career development, which I think they're all tied together. So now I split my time basically coaching senior leaders as well as working with organizations, kind of coaching organizations and helping them become places that people can fall in love with, as well as helping people figure out how to fall in love with their jobs and their careers and develop over time. And a lot of that relates to well, how, what's the environment like that you're working in and what sort of learning and training experiences are you creating? What brought me to this work was completing a doctorate in organizational leadership, studying job satisfaction, motivation, value congruence, specifically job crafting, which I hope we get into a little bit today. Uh, and that path that led to there was me basically being really unmotivated at my job and pretty resentful towards my work. And luckily waking up to that because I went almost seven years, basically giving up my power to my career, saying really just kind of reacting, playing the victim a little bit, and having two feet out the door of an organization that thought I was a high performer, right? That promoted me into the executive team. But luckily I woke up and realized that I was causing a lot of my own kind of negative experiences, right? It wasn't the job. It was my perception of the job. It wasn't the work. It was how I was handling the work. And I was able to go have a conversation with my boss to kind of craft learning experiences for myself, to be able to fall in love with my work just a little bit more. As you know, I'm I'm very passionate about reskilling and upskilling. And I think it's so important that the individual employee has an invested stake in their career development, that they have some say in that career path. What are you seeing with this generation of employees and particularly the Gen Z and millennials and their interest level in really proactively driving their career path and their learning program? Well, the biggest issue is that the drive is usually out of the organization. I still think we have a lot of work to do in empowering employees or associates, you know, really to figure out that they are in control of their career. They are responsible for taking action. I mean, from everything from how you receive feedback to the career development goals that you have for yourself, like a couple of points of this is, you know, if you get feedback as a employee, well, how are you holding your leader accountable to that feedback and progress? Because if you don't, that leader thinks they gave you that feedback and three months from then, you're going to be held accountable to it. And if you haven't improved, it could be the door or it could be a performance improvement plan. 
Uh, you know, another piece is if you're interested in a promotion and want to make more money, how have you held your leader accountable to that path forward? You know, just by saying it, a lot of times people think that they've given over that responsibility to the leader when in actuality, they should be holding the leader accountable to their own growth. And I still think we have a lot of work to do, but in some organizations and with some people, especially the ones that I work with, there's a lot more personal accountability. And so people are going into their one-on-ones, leaders and employees, and having conversations that relate to what work do you love to do? What work do you want to learn how to do? How do we get you more exposure to senior leadership through skip level meetings or presentations? What are you passionate about? Why do you work here? And using that information then to adjust the environment around the employee to always be a learning experience, right? To, to be more engaging. And that's what keeps people at a job, right? Instead of thinking that the solution is somewhere else. And particularly during the pandemic, we did so much research as everyone kind of moved to more and more virtual learning. And one of the hardest things people really had to tackle was communicating culture and the purpose of the company, particularly when more and more people are operating virtually or at least in a hybrid environment. How important is really understanding the purpose and individuals buying into the culture of the company. Do you see that as being one of the things that when you're creating a learning experience, you, you kind of need to find creative ways to really engage individuals in the culture and the mission and the purpose of the organization? Well, purpose of the organization and purpose of the work, purpose of the project, purpose of the task. I mean, I can, so zooming in, you know, working with a life sciences manufacturing company, there's steps to a process to create a product. Well, there was an incident where the employee thought that it would be faster to mix all the ingredients together instead of following the instructions. Well, that causes a chemical reaction that creates a negative result. And so the employee didn't realize why they had to do something a certain way. Now, also, if that employee has lower levels of productivity, they might not fully understand what that product is being used for and the importance of that product or the importance of the organization. Sort of really like micro level, it's important. And then you get to a, a macro level and you say, well, do people fully understand the purpose of this long-term project? And you can take a look at like performance development and there's something as simple as ratings, right? Some people call it performance management. And you have the leaders just giving the ratings when... The purpose of the process isn't the rating. The purpose of the process is development of the employee, the improvement of productivity and engagement and satisfaction, and then also giving the employee the opportunity to improve, right? Feedback. And so with this focus on, oh, I'll just give the rating, you're actually demeaning the process and not even making sure that the process works. Going out to an even larger macro level, why does someone want to even come into work every single day? And so do they understand what the organization does, the impact that it has on the environment, the impact that it has on the community, the impact that it has for individual employees, right? Why people come to work, the stories that they have, I mean, that leads to greater levels of motivation, trust, right? Engagement and such. And that just improves retention, improves productivity, improves team unity, et cetera. And one of the things that I'm curious about, and I think you probably have a good perspective on this, is kind of how people are dealing with the work-life balance. You talk a lot about loving the work that you do and, and truly being passionate about the mission and really just the day-to-day -day of everything that you're working on. How much do you have to coach people on balancing their work life and their personal life and finding that sweet spot, particularly now when with all of the electronics and the digital age, work seems to seep into every aspect and every moment of our life? 
I recently went over some engagement survey results and work-life balance was one of the lower areas and leadership was like, yeah, that just, that's normal work-life balance. It's normal. It's a normal part of the job. <laughs> it's just like, hold on a second. You have a factor here, right? Is it is an indicator that says that people are rating their work-life balance lower than you want them to rate it. That's important information. It's not given. And there's reasons behind that that might be different than the reasons that you think. It's something that needs to be explored. Work-life balance, and I guess you could call it harmony. Let's just in general say that someone feels that there is more work than they're able to do at a given point in time, and that it's negatively impacting their ability to live their life. I think it's important to say it that way, because if you just say work-life balance, people go, yeah, you're always going to work more. No, Mm -hmm. this is negatively influencing someone's life, which if you expand this and say, okay, that means that they are rushed, that they feel stressed. And whenever you feel rushed and stressed, you are thinking from the part of your brain that is just reacting. It's a little bit more reptilian. So you're limiting innovation and creativity. And in terms of learning experiences, you are completely destroying the ability to retain information. And so if someone is not rating their work-life balance high, or if you're not creating a learning experience that is lending itself to someone feeling carefree or excited, and they're worried about their work outside of it, and they're instead stressed, then you should reschedule your training because it's not going to be effective. Yeah. And I know you talk about self-leadership and I'm, and I'm sure that comes into a lot of different areas of an individual's work and career. But from a learning experience perspective, when you think about self-leadership, where does that fit into it? Because obviously I'm, I'm passionate about individuals owning their development path and the learning that goes along with it. How would you look at that self-leadership and for organizations who are listening, how would you recommend they kind of bake self-leadership into their learning experiences and programs? Yeah. So there's a portion of self-leadership that's like yourself, but we're taking it from the perspective of, okay, as a leader, your responsibility is to create other self-leaders. Your responsibility is to empower and create greater accountability in the people that are your direct reports, because when they're empowered and when they feel accountable, you're more likely to find out information ahead of time. They're more likely able to craft their work. So they're more engaged and more satisfied. You'll have a sense of trust. And so all in all, if the people that work for you feel comfortable to share with you what they need and feel responsible for how they feel on a daily basis, you're going to have a more engaged and more satisfied, more fulfilled team. And so as a leader, self-leadership comes into play with, well, how much of your time are you dedicating to the people that work for you? From a learning experience, how are you creating an environment where people feel comfortable to say what's on their mind, to question you? Uh, How are you creating a follow-up, an evaluative kind of methodology or assessment methodology where people are willing to reach out to you? They feel responsible for the results. And so that the onus, you know, like the result of the learning or training program is not on the trainer, but on the learners and even more so on the stakeholders of those learners, right? On the leaders. And so it's important when you're building out the process of a learning program that you have follow-up that creates that level of accountability. And also during the learning experience itself, instead of teaching and presenting, you're coaching and you're guiding and you're facilitating. And so you're creating um, experiential opportunities where someone can go in do the thing that is being discussed, or even share personal memories and stories. So then that person can see how it relates directly to their job, and then is tested to say, well, what if you did it this way? 
And so then they kind of lead themselves within this story and within this version. Self-leadership is the person you know knows what they're working on, why they're working on it, what their goals are. So there's a clarity piece. Confidence, they believe they can do it. So actually training, right? You're skilling um, the hard skills as well as the belief system that they can. A lot of leaders just don't believe in themselves as leaders. And so that itself is an issue. But then control, right? There's some intentionality that, so the three C's, clarity, confidence, control. And that last C is how are you making space for this? How are you creating space for your learners to actually apply this in their day-to-day? Can't tell you how often I see something as an additive which someone doesn't have time for, especially if the work-life balance is out of whack. So how are you making time for that person to actually apply the learning? And how are you making it so that they can be intentional for that learning? So I know I've talked about a couple different components of self-leadership in this response, but hopefully it ties together well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. And I, I love the three C's, clarity, confidence, and control. And I know that feedback loops, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and that's so important. And it's also a challenge communicating that feedback efficiently and then being able to respond to it in the right way. When you're thinking about learning experiences, creating that type of a learning program that people are really engaged in and they feel like they can develop within. Where is the sweet spot between what you have to do in person live, whether it's, you know, us sitting in an office together or on like a Zoom versus what can be done virtually on demand? Because we all know now that we're kind of blurring the lines. Learning is learning and it's going to happen in lots of different forms. But that feedback between you and your leader or a leader in their direct reports is so important. How do you see the best way to do that? And what are you seeing out there that that's really working for people? In terms of feedback loops, I think there's there's pros and cons to virtual. There's pros and cons to in-person. If you're you know in person, there is some organic conversation and feedback that tends to happen, which is not a good thing, honestly, because it means that you don't have scheduled check-ins and feedback loops. I hear this a lot. Well, when we're in person, we're able to walk by each other and tell each other what's going on. I go, that sounds like a process that has a lot of holes in it. (laughs) But the problem when we go virtual, the processes aren't in place. So you need more than just a one-to-one. So I'd say you have a one-to-one, weekly one-to-ones, which a lot of people do not have. And I say that is a tried and true best practice. Even if it's just 15 minutes, it's not a priority checklist. It's a, what roadblocks are you struggling with? Where can I help? And what information do I need to know as well as an opportunity for you to share information with them? I'd even suggest open office hours for leaders or even teachers, learners, the instructor. So if you have a program that you're leading or if you're a leader yourself, to have an office hour slot for an hour once a week is a great opportunity for people just to drop in and say hi in the virtual environment. Uh, And then, you know, an open door policy and just constantly reaffirming uh, if something happens that's related to this specific outcome or project or area that you ping me and leave a note doesn't mean you have to respond immediately but so you have these like communication standards in place for email for teams or slack or whatever it is for meetings that allow for that feedback to happen too often goals get set projects get implemented and they're not brought up during meetings or they're not brought up during those drop-ins and it only comes up when something wrong something bad happens so a lot of this is also the the leader understanding what the priorities are, what the imperatives are of the organization or of the direct report or of the learner and bringing those up on a weekly basis and having those check-ins where it just takes organization, yes, but that it is crucial for the success of something to work. Um, Along with when you're implementing a learning program, 
are you connecting with people one-on-one that were part of your program post-implementation and just having a natural conversation with them around feedback, not just the survey? You're going to find out a lot more information from those conversations that you then can use to follow up and hopefully create a greater learning experience and a more impactful one. Uh, it's a great perspective on that. And one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about too is, do you feel like sometimes when you're an employee that self-manages themselves, you hit all of your goals, you are doing everything on time the way you're supposed to, do you feel like sometimes those employees get left behind or they don't get as much focus on their career development and their learning path because they're not the person that is a problem that needs to be solved. And and sometimes there's more attention on the people that are problematic to the organization as opposed to somebody who's always doing everything on cruise control. Uh, yeah. And so before I answer the question, I think there's a lot of danger in labeling people like low, middle or high performer, right? I know organizations have high po, low po, and it's dangerous. And I can excite these other studies from classrooms is that when teachers expected a student to perform a certain way, that student performed that way. And so if you are labeling people as high performer or low performer and allow that to influence how you treat them, you may be doing it subconsciously as well. Once you make that label, then you are dictating the outcomes for that individual. And so it's very dangerous to do that. So please, if you're doing that right now, Go look up, if you want more information about this, go look up Marcus Buckingham, when I lies about work. He speaks to this a lot too. Or reach out to me, happy to talk to you about it. And please stop. And please approach someone on a daily basis with an open mind and create programs to help that individual learn and grow. Everyone has potential. You just haven't figured out how to tap it yet if you're wondering why this person is performing at a lower level than somebody else. Uh, and so to answer your question directly around kind of these people, individuals that seem to be they got their stuff together, right? They don't need as much attention. This is where the self-leadership conversation comes in. I expect, I would hope the ideal situation in an organization is that that individual understands that if they don't push something forward and don't follow up on something, that it's not going to happen. And I, you know, I work with leaders to help that not be the case, but every single person has to take greater accountability for their own success in their jobs and in their career. And so that means if you get told that something needs to happen for you to get a promotion, well, then you're checking in with your leader on a weekly basis, what the progress is towards that thing. And you're letting other people that are the people that make the decision around that promotion know about your progress as well. Very often that doesn't happen. So I think a lot of this is personal accountability and then letting leaders know, hey, if you don't do that, if you don't help someone do that or create the environment for someone to do that, that person is going to get a promotion by leaving and finding a job with a higher title. Right. And I want to ask about job crafting. You mentioned it earlier. And so I'd love to circle back to that because it's it's actually, I think I know what you're referring to, but it's kind of a new term for me. So I'm sure it is for a lot of our listeners. Tell us a little bit about job crafting. I cannot wait until this is more prominent throughout the industry. It is an awesome concept. It's in the literature and research. And I'm so happy that I came across it because it really uh, put into words a lot of the things that I was teaching and thought was important. And I did for myself, honestly. So job crafting is the idea that uh, we can create a job that is more fulfilling and satisfying without having to leave our jobs. Now, this needs a little bit of autonomy for it to work. Most of us have it. And so it encompasses three main areas, right? Job crafting breaks down three main areas that relate to job satisfaction that we all have control over as employees. Now, the first one is the actual work. 
The second one is our social relationships. And the third one is the meaning that we feel, perceive, and create from our work. So each of these is different components. So just really briefly, the actual work is the work that you do and how you do it. So that can involve delegating, stopping, continuing, doing more of, doing other types of right work. The social relationships is who you like working with, who you don't like working with, focusing more on who you like working with and learning from people that you would want to learn from. And then the meaning is the perception of the work. So not just the meaning of the work, it's how you perceive it, right? Just like a, there was a study, I think Adam Grant talks about it with uh, people that used to clean hotel rooms. And, you know, some people would say, well, you're just cleaning hotel rooms. And someone else thought, well, no, I'm helping someone relax after a really long day or someone else. I'm creating a home experience for someone that's not home. And so, so you can perceive your work differently as well. So that's it kind of in a nutshell, really briefly. Yeah, I love the concept and because our show is all about learning experiences. How do you think that applies to your learning experience? Do you think kind of in the same vein that this should be something we should be thinking about when we're designing learning programs and experiences to educate our people? It's also how we frame the learning experience. So it's good information for the instructor to know, do you, does everyone in the room get along? Do people in this room, who do they respect? Who are they drawn towards for either championing right the program or being a part of the program? You can also look at how do you highlight the meaning of this learning program from a macro and micro level? And how do we give individuals autonomy to the application of this learning so that it's in a way uh, that is more enjoyable for them? So 100%, those should yeah. be components of learning program development. That's great. And I think it's something that our listeners should look into because like you said, it's something that needs more attention on and, and is something that can really add value to probably any organization. Tell us before we part, what is the live system? Give us a little bit of overview on that. Yeah. So I, I shared the self-leadership system, three C's. And when I first started my company, Live For Yourself Consulting, hence live. And thank you for calling it live, by the way. A lot of people are like, what's live? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's live. So life intentions, values, and expectations. So it was kind of a decision-making system. So life, what are your goals? What are you working towards? Intentions, what are your intentions for this in terms of what do you really want to create? What are your values? How does it relate to your values? Because if it's not aligned with your values, it's not going to matter. And, and E, expectations, what do you expect to actually happen? What type of environment are you actually living in or creating for yourself within this process? So it was like, hey, I have this decision to make. Does it relate to my goals? Does it? Am I intentionally living up to these goals? Is it aligned with my values? And what do I expect from myself and other people based on this decision? And it was a decision-making tool. And I, I realized after working with a ton of clients that, hey, there are certain people that are really good at using this tool and there are certain people that aren't. What's preventing them from being able to do this for themselves? What's preventing them from living for themselves? And I realized that it was these three C's, the self-leadership. So basically what I then did is I crafted a system for the three C's that then would allow someone to go in and use this decision-making tool to create a, a life that is more aligned with who they truly are. So that means that it aligns with their values and it aligns with their goals. And so they're intentionally showing up and they're creating an environment around that that supports basically um, all of those things. So it's a little bit more comprehensive, but it's, it's more so like a thought process. And do you think that thought process can also be used to help learning departments create better experiences that individuals want to engage with and want to really take the the driver's seat in their career and, and their, their learning paths? Yeah, it's very similar to what we've discussed already, because I think I've taken a lot of those components and, and putting them into the pillars of the other areas that I talk about. I mean, if your learners in the room and their values don't align with the values of the program, good luck, right? If 
doesn't align with their goals that they have for themselves, good luck. If that their job doesn't allow them to do the thing that you're asking them to do, right? What is the environment? Does the environment actually, is it intentionally oriented towards the success of your learning program? And then the expectations for their own selves and their job and the people around them. So the people around them understand that, that this learning program is happening. Do they understand that they're expected to do this? Like hundred percent, it relates completely to the learner in the room. And so if you're creating a learning program, you have to ask yourself, like, who is the audience? Which is the key question that I think we all know as individuals that create learning programs. Who am I speaking to? You know, what are their goals? How do the goals of this program align with that? What are their values? How do the values of this program or how can I help them perceive that they're aligned with that intentionally, right? Are they capable? Do they care? And is their environment created in a way where they can be successful in this? And then in terms of expectations, like, hey, let's look at their job role, their description. Does it make sense for them to do this? Why does it make sense for them to do this? And then the expectations of other people, how are other people going to support them, right? So then that leads into the environment too. So it's a lot of the probably questions that people are answering, but just putting written down kind of in a pillar format, right? An acronym that people can probably remember. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say too. It's, it's easy to remember it. Life, intentions, values, expectations. And, and I think you're right. It's kind of baked into everything you do as an organization. So very cool stuff. I know you host your own podcast show. Tell our listeners about that. And then also, I know you've got great resources up on your website. Tell our listeners where they should go to get more of those resources. Keep up to date with you and your thought leadership. And where are the best places to go? Yeah. So first off, if anyone's listening to this, well, and you haven't reviewed this podcast, go and review it. It is probably the best thing that you can do other than sharing this with a friend. I think actually reviews probably would be even more important. So go review this podcast, give it five stars. I know you've enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't enjoyed this conversation, listen to a different conversation. You'll find one that you enjoy. Leave a review. It is gold for podcasters. So I host the Live For Yourself Revolution podcast, which focuses on interesting conversations with interesting people that are living for themselves. I also host the Executive Podcast, which interviews executives and dives into what it really takes and what it really is like to be an executive. So those are the kind of the two shows that I have out there. And I will host events pretty regularly. I have two events coming up. Uh, so like virtual events that focus on career leadership development. So if you follow me on LinkedIn or you get on my mailing list on my website, you'll be able to hear about those. So my name on LinkedIn is Dr. Benjamin Ritter. I pop up. And if you want to check out the website, get on that emailing list. It's liveforyourselfconsulting.com, liveforyourselfconsulting.com. That's awesome. And uh, I think you've got some great resources, things you can download and put right into practice immediately. So definitely check out the website. And Ben, thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. I think you shared a, a ton of insight in a short amount of time. So thanks for, uh, for coming on the show and, uh, and sharing your expertise. I really appreciate you having me. And to all of our listeners, thank you for being here each week. As you know, we have a new episode that comes out every week. So wherever you're listening, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. As Ben said earlier, as a podcaster, we love that. We love to hear from you guys. And until our next episode, rock on. Rock on.